This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Angela Marcus. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be speaking with Susan Russell, Executive Director of the Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia. As someone who spent their career working in the animal welfare community in Philadelphia up until a few years ago, this is an organization that I've had the unique experience to see start and grow over the last decade. I've seen the good times and the bad, and let me tell you, with the recent arrival of Susan, things are looking up for the city of Philadelphia. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Susan in person and hearing about her vision for the future of ACT Philly. I also had the opportunity to meet Elroy, the dog we'll be featuring for adoption today. I even had the chance to read him his favorite book, or at least his favorite book, according to Susan, titled (laughs) Walter the Farting Dog. No, it's his favorite book. It's not just according to me. (laughs) But that should tell you everything you need to know about Susan's sense of humor and her positive approach to transitioning Philadelphia to a no-kill city. Today, we're going to talk to Susan about ACT Philly and more specifically about the role of the open admission shelter in a no-kill community. We'll be right back with Susan after a message from our sponsors. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops. With omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try LicoChops. Buy two, get one free. At Dinovite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio, and a big welcome to Susan Russell, Executive Director of the Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia. Thanks so much for joining us, Susan. Thank you so much, Angela. Thanks for having uh, Elroy and I on today. We're very excited about your podcast. So let's start by talking a little bit about the history of ACT Philly. I, you know, I know it's called the Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia, but we shortened it. That's a it. mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful, exactly. So we call it ACT Philly. So, so give us the history so that the listeners can understand where this organization came from and where it is now. Absolutely. Now, as you know, Angela, I haven't been here long, but ACT Philly is a, an open admission shelter. And like many municipal open admission shelters, it has had to deal with its fair share of intake over the last decade or two. Intake used to be, and intake is the number of animals that come into the open admission shelter. I should back up a little bit and say the open admission municipal shelter is one that has to take the animals that come through its doors. So it takes everything. And that's something a lot of folks don't know. It takes the dogs and the cats. It takes the dogs and the cats in all states of health, behavior, injury. It takes also every other type of animal, pigs, farm animals, other farm animals, birds, turtles, etc. So open admission shelters always have their fair share of animals coming through the door. And Act Philly was no different. So What used to be, you know, tens of thousands of animals coming through the door and uh, presumably people trying to find some second chance for these animals is now at least uh, about 18,000 coming in last year. So 
intake has decreased dramatically over the years, which means there's now a lot more opportunity for life-saving at the shelter. And that's what I'm excited about. I know we can always look back at you, but you can't move forward by looking back. You just got to keep moving forward. And right now, I think this city is very much poised to try to save as many healthy and treatable homeless animals as it can, and also to help as many pet owners as it can and help prevent the surrender of those animals by providing resources, especially in areas which are underserved. I know that you haven't been there very long, but you're not new to the animal welfare space. Can you tell us a little bit about where you were before and what brought you to Philadelphia? Absolutely. I was in Chicago prior to uh, coming to Philly, another beautiful city, and uh, I was their executive director at the municipal city shelter called Chicago Animal Care and Control. I was there for about two and a half years as the executive director, but I had been there uh, much longer as a volunteer. I've been in open admission shelters for quite some time, as well as a volunteer in other rescue organizations as well. So animal welfare is something that has always been a passion. Prior to being the executive director, I I was a litigator. So a very different line of work uh, (laughs) paid the bills, but uh, certainly didn't uh, certainly didn't satisfy the need for uh, passion. So animal welfare is just an area that I have always wanted to be involved in. And now I'm in it as, you know, as my job, which I love. I think it's so important. You know, there's that old saying that when you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, <laughs> right? Your life. <laughs> well, Although, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> I speak from experience. Now, that was not true. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds really good, but reality. It sounded good. Sounded good. And oh. I, I do understand the premise, but... <laughs> but it is hard work. It's it's very hard work. And I think for all employees in open admission sheltering or any kind of organization where you serve the most vulnerable constituents in a population, whether it's animals, whether it's the elderly, whether it's children, it, it does take a, you know, a pretty solid emotional toll. And you, you have to guard against that when you are heading up a place like Act Philly. You, you want to try to ensure as best you can that, you know, your employees are passionate about what they do and retain that passion, that they don't get compassion fatigue. That's a very real risk of our industry. So yes, no, I I, I agree. It's very enjoyable, but it's definitely hard work. <laughs> yeah, I know. So for the people who aren't in the animal welfare space and, and sometimes have that misconception that by working at animal shelter, you're just like playing with puppies and kittens oh, all day. Yeah. Let mean, me be the one now, to tell you. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> right but there right. is a lot of hard work that goes into it. And especially when you're an organization like Act Philadelphia and you are solely relying on, well, I guess I shouldn't say solely because you do get some city funding, but you're primarily relying on funding from or donations. You're asking the public for donations to help you do the mission that you're trying to accomplish. We sure do. Now, we do have, you know, the vast majority of our funding right now is through a city contract. So we have that animal control function in Philadelphia. We do pick up the strays and all the strays come in. And just on that note as well, you know, that that's why it's so important to have these animals moving out at a faster pace than they're actually coming in. That's really, that's kind of the, the secret sauce, if you would, to trying to get toward that no-kill city status. So that, I, I just wanted to emphasize that as well. We do, we do have a lot of city funding. Our fundraising is critical to helping us get to that next level of our mission, which really is to help this city with our partners, because we have very wonderful partners, uh, really try to save these animals. So that's, that's you know, our fundraising um, helps, especially, too, with things like community cat programming, things that are not necessarily in our city budget. 
and you sort of touched on something there that I'd like to explore a little more, the, mm-hmm. the idea of length of stay. Can you talk a little cool. bit about why that is so critical to the work that you're doing? Absolutely, absolutely. Length of stay is the amount of time that an animal comes in from the time it steps over the threshold till the time it leaves. Now, every time an animal sets foot in an open admission shelter, I always love to say, I love to say for everyone to understand, they are at risk. They are at risk for getting sick. They are at risk of going stir crazy in kennel. They are at risk for being just emotionally and physically, you know, not in a good place. So really the goal of every shelter should be to get these animals out of this artificial environment and get them into homes, if indeed they can be saved. Open admission sheltering, as with any shelter, doesn't matter if you're open admission or not, has to make very difficult decisions sometimes depending on the animals coming in. Sometimes animals are indeed irremediably suffering. And they do need to be euthanized. Euthanasia is a very real thing that we all must cope with. Also, too, and some of the harder decision-making that gets made is around behaviorally, perhaps, you know, even bordering on dangerous animals. These are animals that, too, we do not wish to put back out into society. So, you know, length of stay is really important for those animals we feel we can help. And the goal is to work with our rescues, with with the adopters, with the community, with the media, to really try and get these animals out of here as fast as we can into good situations. Because the longer they stay in a shelter, the more at risk they are of deteriorating physically and emotionally, especially for dogs and cats as well, you know, behaviorally. Mm -hmm. So we really want to reduce that. That's an important goal of our organization. It's an important goal of any rescue that keeps animals in kennel. Kennel is a very difficult place for an animal to be, especially here. It's very, very loud and very, very stressful. You remember from your visit. Yeah, I do. I do. And go have a quiet conversation. (laughs) No, that was not going to happen. Well, I I think some people listening might say, you know, what what's a rescue as opposed to like because you're talking about your rescue partners. And obviously I know what they are, but I want to hear you talk about it in your own words. What does a rescue partner of Act Philly look like? Absolutely. And, and, and thanks for bringing that up too, Angela. I always assume, you know, I'm, I'm talking in the discourse and lingo of our animal welfare community. And of course, not everyone understands that. And, and rescues are those organizations that really focus, our partners in any event, they really focus on the open admission shelter because they know that's the place if the animals don't come out fast enough, there will be the dreaded need almost to euthanize animals for space, which nobody wants to do. It is a horrible thing. So rescues are those Nonprofits that assist us with getting the animals out of here alive. They then place them usually into foster homes or some are able to adopt them out immediately to adopters. But they are absolutely a critical way station. We're like the first stop on the road to second chances. Our rescues are the next leg of that highway, if I were to make that analogy. And they're the ones usually, unless we adopt out the animals directly, in that case they do kind of get to their, their destination of home. But the rescues are really that next stop. And if indeed, once an animal gets in there, usually the rescue is the one to adopt the animal out and help it find that second chance. So they are a critical component. If we look at, say, the no-kill city philosophy. Now, no-kill is a, a wonderful term. And what it means is that it's a philosophy whereby we try to save the healthy and treatable and manageable animals in our shelter system, as well as prevent them from coming in in the first place. Um, that's why you know, a no-kill city has various pillars in place, whether it's community cat programming for those cats out in the community, 
or programming at the shelter or in our rescue community that helps um, pet owners keep their pets, or whether it's programming in the shelter that actually gets the animals out more quickly or gets them the medical and behavioral help they need so that they can at least get a second chance, whether it's with another rescuer directly into an adoptive home. Yeah, that's perfect. Because my next question for you was going to be, let's talk about the no-kill community or the no-kill city. Let's talk about that definition because there is a lot of misconception out out there, right? People hear the words no-kill and they immediately think euthanasia never happens. This is the best organization in the world. They've never (laughs) killed an animal. And and that's not reality, you know? So the term is a little misleading. So can you talk about, you know, the definition of the no-kill city and just, and really what does it mean, Susan? Does it mean that there's never an animal that's euthanasia? if you are a quote-unquote no-kill city. <laughs> well, that's that's why you will never hear me talk about no-kill shelter. You'll hear me talk about a no-kill city because to me, and it always has been, it is a philosophy that we embrace as a community because the open admission shelter will always have a slightly different focus than, say, a rescue. The open admission shelter will never be able necessarily to choose what comes in, and there needs to be places like that. So really, in a, in a no-kill city, your open admission shelter should be a focus. It should be kind of a, a go-there-first type place for many of the rescues so that the animals that are, are abandoned and from that city get out get out to, and get their second chances. But the no-kill philosophy is really when we all come together and we say, okay, these animals deserve to live, the ones that are healthy and treatable. Now, I'm not talking about dangerous animals. I'm not talking about those that are irremediably suffering, those that cannot be helped within our capacity for care. Those aren't the animals we are talking about. For, but for those that just need, you know, a moderate amount of behavioral modification or medical care or treatment that will enable them to live out their life. Those animals should be helped. So really no kill is a wonderful, to me, it's a term that we need to embrace with the proper meaning so that we don't ever demonize or vilify an open admission shelter. We always embrace that place because we need one of those in every city. You can't have a city where the animals have no place to go. And many of the animals we get here, they're not necessarily going to be perhaps as desirable yet, and I say yet, as some of the animals that you might find, you know, elsewhere. And and the reason I say that is because a lot of municipal shelters tend to have what I call the, the, you know, I call them 100% purebred filly dogs, but, you know, (laughs) the medium, medium, large size, blocky headed, beautifully smiling, fabulously cheekbone dogs that a lot of people refer to inaccurately, I might add, as quote unquote pit bulls. And this is any big city, you're going to find a lot of animals with these beautiful characteristics. I think what we need to do as a big city is we need to rebrand these animals and and go along the Animal Farm Foundation philosophy is treating every one of them as individuals. Every dog, it doesn't matter what they look like, should be treated as an individual because you can have that kind of package and you can have an incredibly sociable animal and you can have a wholly different kind of package and not have a very sociable animal at all. So the package, what the animal looks like, has nothing to do with how it behaves. We must take them as they come and try to embrace their individuality. And same goes for cats. I mean, let's, you know, we say all dogs are individuals, all cats are gods, however you want to look at it. But, <laughs> but I mean, our kitties, our kitties, you can usually find an opportunity for a kitty. So if your city is embracing that no-kill philosophy, you are embracing community cat programming because there are so many feral cats out there and there are many community cats out there that are just going to live out their days very humanely and healthily 
in their communities. Some of them are feral, i.e. they're wild. They're just kind of like a raccoon or anything else. They don't need to be around us, and we're really not that desirable to be around. They're like a wild animal. So they can be trapped, neutered, and returned, vaccinated for rabies, obviously, and the other ailments that they can have. And some need minor medical or major medical treatment. But they can be returned, and they can live out their days doing incredibly important work, such as rodent control in some of these communities. I know uh, Uh Chicago used to have a reputation as a very ratty city, and I think Philly has its fair share as well. And the bottom line is, these cats are damn good workers. And, And if we cannot find an opportunity for them in a loving home, we need to subscribe to community cat programming, which is stray neuter return or trap neuter return. So, you know, when we do that, again, we decrease the number of animals that are coming into existence, which is critical. And we also humanely manage what some people view as a problem. Other people view as a welcome inhabitant of their communities. So I think, you know, really, when we look at the animals coming into the open admission shelter, they do, you know, they are primarily dogs and cats. But But with a no-kill mindset, you're looking for opportunities to help them continue, you know, doing what fills their belly and makes them happy and keeps them alive. But you also take a more humane approach to these animals. You know, it's not, there's no quick solutions when you're thinking about a no-kill city. There's hard work. There's lots of problem solving. And I'll tell you right now, Angela, the big key is the partnerships and the collaboration. It cannot Mm -hmm. be done by one shelter alone. No one shelter or person can create a no-kill city. We do this together, which is another reason why I find it such a beautiful thing. It's really about collaboration, mindset, and philosophy, and of course, whoop, funding. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You gotta have well, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what? And I'd like to, I definitely want to get a little bit deeper into what you see as the challenges and the opportunities as you move to push Philadelphia into a no-kill city. Mm -hmm. But first, we have to take a quick short break and hear a message from our sponsors. So we'll be right back with Susan. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Take Me Home on Pet Life Radio. We're continuing our conversation with Susan Russell, Executive Director for the Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia. Susan, before the break, we were talking about this no-kill city mindset, and you put it so so eloquently when you were talking about it. And I want to dive a little deeper into this. So what do you see as the biggest challenges for the city of Philadelphia from making the transition into a no-kill city? Well, I think some of them are ideological. I think some of them are financial. And some of them are just reality. So so let's talk about the ideological. I did touch briefly on the perception of certain dogs in our kennels. 
as being, you know, considered kind of right offable, if you would. They have a certain mm-hmm. look of a certain body type. Therefore, they're not quite as desirable, perhaps, as dogs with a slightly different look. That's an ideological issue that I, is a challenge, but I think also an opportunity to really help people embrace the concept that all dogs are individuals. Another big challenge, of course, is, is gaining more acceptance for community cat programs throughout mm-hmm. the city and helping people understand how You know, this is a humane approach to rodent control, to managing cat populations, etc. Moving on to another challenge, which is, of course, financial. We have so many needs. You know, we we have so many needs as a community. There is a a wonderful no-kill coalition in Philadelphia. It comprises ACT Philly, PAWS, PSPCA, as well as other key partners. We're looking to build that as well. But the bottom line is we need to have the money to do what makes sense. So, for example, we need to have money to help pet owners who need assistance, medical care, or behavioral help with their animals so they don't have to surrender them here at Act Philly. That's a key diversion. I'm so happy you brought this up. I I just want to jump in there for a second because Mm -hmm. I think there's this mindset with a lot of people in the general public, and I've heard it, you know, plenty of people have said it to me. I always rebut with, you know, well, this is the best thing for the pet, but I'd like to hear you talk about it because I've heard plenty of people say, well, if they can't afford pet food, well, if they can't afford medical care, why should they have this pet? And and I'd like to hear your response to that because I'm certain you have a very, very uh, poignant response for it. Go ahead. Well, you know something, I got to tell you, I absolutely hate judgmental approaches to pet ownership. And I'll tell you why. Because it has been my experience, and my experience has been pretty deep talking to pet owners, that the amount of money you got does not correlate to the amount of love you have for your animal. And people with very little financial support love their animals no less than people with millions of dollars. So I think we have to really move so far away from that philosophy You know, why should, you know, a person's best friend and family member be any less important because of a financial circumstance? It's absurd. And I will tell you right now, when we have our food pet pantry every two weeks here at the city shelter at at Act Philly, you know, people are lined up. They don't love their pets any less. They just need a little bit of assistance because, you know, some folks are living on a fixed income. And yeah. I don't know about you, Angela, but my bills have never gone down one year of my life. They've not no, gone never down. once. And, so, you know, so that's I'm the kidding. thing. It's like if you can provide that person the bag of food to keep mm-hmm. the pet in the home with the people yep. he or she knows she and loves, loves. Yep. I mean, it's a win-win for everyone involved. It's a win-win. And can I give you another primary example of where this is so important. Listen, you and I probably have pets that have quirks, right? I've got the nastiest calico <laughs> cat. I love her. She's old, miserable. I just love her to bits, but she's a jerk. You know, she's not the nicest cat. Nobody else really probably would want my cat. I love my cat. So this is a cat that if it came into a shelter, I can just about guarantee you she's not going to have too many takers. Yeah. So where is the best place for my nasty, rotten calico cat? It's with me. I'll give you another primary example. People's dogs bite. You know, they bite. Animals bite. And once there's a break in the skin, usually people are very quick to give up their animals sometimes because they're just afraid. They don't know what to do. But you know something? Those biting animals, if they can go home and be safely managed by their owners, guess what? That's their opportunity because we're not going to have a heck of a lot of opportunities for those animals here. So to be able to help people keep their pets is perhaps, well, again, it's another pillar of having a no-kill city. And certainly with the no-kill coalition, 
that was a key focus. We do currently have a help desk. We do need more funding. I'll put that out there. We're looking for corporate sponsors for that, that funding for that position, as well as for a medical fund to help these animals. Because I'll tell you, we, we had an animal come in the other day um, with his owner. His owner did end up relinquishing the dog, but we managed just in time after he left to find it was it was brandy wine actually that stepped up to provide the obstruction surgery this dog needed to survive okay so we called the owner owner came back we returned the dog to the owner owner went right out to brandy wine got the surgery saved the dog's life it had a corn cob in its intestine now for all of us who've been around dogs that have swallowed corn cobs we know how fast that can take a real wrong turn Uh and how quickly the dog can lose their life so in any event because of that quick, swift partnering and because, you know, that organization stepped up to fund that surgery, let me tell you, that dog is with his owner, is home. It's a fabulous success story. So that's the kind of thing that finances, again, if we're looking at challenges, it's money. Money does help considerably yes. when you're trying to save lives. It's not the only thing, but I'll tell you, it really, really helps. And I think um, there's an element of this story that you just shared with us that just even further proves the person who may not be able to afford that emergency surgery, they care so much for yep. their pet that yep. all they're worried about is getting him or her the help the pet needs. That they need. Yep. Despite to, breaking to the, their heart. To the point even surrendering that yes. animal so that animal. Does. And that's what we don't want. Yeah. You know, we understand that some folks don't have three months rent to spend on a medical bill. We get that. And I think that's what, as a, as a city, when we look at these things, keeping people and pets together, you know, even by providing things like, you know, partnering with partners to get clinics out in underserved communities. Do you know some communities, they, they don't even have vets. It's, yeah. it's un, they're underserved. Or they're unable you know, to, to spend the, you know, the $40 to walk to in the get door to, to get vaccines. <laughs> yeah. Or the 50 or, or whatever. Or day off. Yeah, exactly. And there is, um, speaking of which, uh, Harley's Haven, uh, we're, we're going to partner with them, but Harley's Haven is doing the, the massive ore pull with this one. We are going to work with them to have a, a, a vaccine slash spay neuter slash veterinary services clinic in the close to the Strawberry Mansions neighborhood. So we'll be getting the advertising out on that very soon. But you know something, these kinds of services are what keeps pets with their people. For and another example, I mean, you take just basic vaccinations for young animals, right? Parvo for dogs, pet feline panlopenia for the kitties, things that can kill them or, or the treatment could be so expensive that the, the animal wouldn't get a second chance. These basic vaccinations, sometimes the failure to provide them creates the, the need for a person to surrender their pet. So getting mm-hmm. these preventive things out into underserved communities can be a an absolute miracle for keeping pets in the home. Uh-huh. Another challenge, I got to tell you, my one of my favorite ones I love to go on about, so cut me off if I go on too long. But the bottom <laughs> line fine. is, I think the challenge is, especially just animal welfare generally, is, is positivity and support among the key players. And the reason I say that is because I think this community that we are a part of is one of the most incredible communities. I mean, these folks spend their money, their time, their energy, caring about you know sometimes dogs and cats that not a lot of folks necessarily would care about you know they just spend everything getting these animals to that second chance and sometimes we're not always as nice as we should be to one another you know and not as empathetic and i I know cyberspace can sometimes be an absolute blessing to getting animals out and saved getting them into the right you know person's eye but sometimes it can also be a horribly negative place and what i'm hoping and this is the opportunity 
is that we can turn that, even if we, you know, sometimes disagree with one another, keep that telenovela tamp down and really work together in the spirit of positivity and optimism. I think that would go so far to keeping people in this community, to keeping people feeling, you know, like what they are doing matters and makes a difference. It sure does, right? I mean, it sure does. There's no one who can say, even if you fail sometimes, and sometimes the animals don't make it. Guess what? Sometimes they don't make it. And it's hard. Even then, we should all be lifting each other up, no matter if we're in the open admission shelters, whether we're in the rescues, whether we're networkers, whether we're volunteers. If we could just keep that spirit a little lighter, a little more can do, to me, that, that is a challenge that we just have generally as a community, keeping it positive. Yeah, Susan, I absolutely agree with you. And, and you know, I have to tell you, as someone who's been involved in the animal welfare space in the Philadelphia area for quite some time, I have never seen such positivity on social media about what's happening at Animal Care and Control Team in Philadelphia. I mean, you've made me a believer. I am 100% behind you, <laughs> championing your efforts. And I know you have you have lots of people who are rooting for you and for your success and for the, the success of your team at Act Philly. So we're all really excited to have you here. You know, like I said, as a, as a PA person, it's even more near and dear to my heart to see that that you guys be successful in achieving your goals. Okay, so now we don't have very much time left. So let's. Oh, I know. Let's I told you I'd go about, on and on and on. No, no, no. It wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want. I want to talk about the main star of the show here. I mean, you're great, Susan. But let's talk about Elroy. Tell me about oh, Elroy. Oh my gosh. Tell I me compare about nothing with this beautiful dog. <laughs> and I got to tell you, poor Elroy has had his challenges. He's, um, we're hoping, quite frankly, Angela, that this, you know, third time round will be third time lucky. He's, he's made a few bad decisions in his day. And, haven't we uh, all? <laughs> we haven't we all, but not so bad as to really pull the plug on Elroy. Okay, Elroy, Elroy, unfortunately, after he got, he's been here off and on since September. And uh, I got to tell you, he's uh, <laughs> he's more like a cat. He does sleep 24-7 when he's in, well, like when I bring him up to the office, that's all he does is sleep. Mind you, he can fetch a mean ball as well, so he's not totally lazy. But the bottom line with Elroy is when he got adopted first, he, he managed to get out of the yard he was in and um, he managed to go after a cat and do, you know, indeed some damage. So let's face it, Elroy shouldn't be around cats. So he came back after that. He got adopted out again. He did prior to that, by the way. He was in playgroups. He he does like other dogs enough. He just doesn't have to live with them. He went into a home with another dog. And, it, you know, they got along absolutely fine. But he did get into a fight over a resource. So we're trying to get Elroy out to a pet-free home. And that's part of our March One and Only campaign, Angela. We are trying to promote the fact that there are so many animals and people, mind you, that just want just one pet in the home. Okay, they they just have to be one, the only pet in the home. Listen, I got six cats. Not everybody needs six cats. Not everybody, you know, not everyone's like me. They, you know, get pinned in the bed when they wake up in the morning by six (laughs) cats. Some people just want one dog at the end of their bed. And that's fine. You know, so we've kind of done the one and only campaign, you know, singing the platter song at the top of our lungs and, and really trying to draw attention to the fact that so many shelter animals, and they're some of the hardest to get out, just need that family. They just need people. They're great with people. 
They just don't need to be around other animals. So Elroy's one of those. He is currently rescue only. So if anyone's interested in adopting him, we'll hook him up with one of our rescues and see if we can't go through there. He's until then spending an inordinate amount of time in my office, but (laughs) because I absolutely adore him. He's, he's, you know, if I didn't have six cats and Elroy really loves cats in a way we don't want him to. I had to use my best uh, Iroquois voice from <laughs> Lord of the Rings and say, those are not for eating. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway he, he just he just really would make someone a very loving pet. I mean, so give, he, us us, give us his details. What, what his is deets? he? Okay. Yeah. Well, a 100% purebred Philly dog. He comes in shades of black and white uh, with little speckled toes, which are almost edible. Oh. He has... Um, you know, he's he's a little medium-sized dog, about four years old. He probably needs a little dental work. Can I sell this dog any better? <laughs> uh, but he, <laughs> but he, uh, he really, he's just perfect size. He'd fit into any heart. He's about 40, 45 pounds, loves to play fetch. Did I mention he was about four years old? Yeah, I think I did. Four years old. Um, yeah. His favorite book is Walter the Farting Dog. His, his, it's a series. <laughs> he loves them all, except the one about the garage sale, because he doesn't agree that Walter should have been sold at the garage sale. Like <laughs> so, so we don't have that book in our collection, but he loves the rest of them. And quite frankly, he's a lot like Walter the Farting Dog. So again... <laughs> <laughs> right, Elroy, you're just about smoking me out of here, aren't you, buddy? But, he's a, but he he is. He's, he's a very loving people dog. So third time lucky, we are trying to get him out to a no-pet home. And uh, we have a few dogs like that here at Act Philly, and it makes them very difficult to move out. Speaking of length of stay, some of them stay for months because, you know, it, finding a foster without any animals, finding, you know, it, it can be difficult. And many of our rescues fosters have animals. So they don't move quickly. And it's sure. something we wanted to draw attention to we also want to draw attention angela the fact we got a gala coming up okay can i say that yeah go ahead tell us all about it all right because it's it's called our gala for second chances do you see it's a theme here but uh, anyway you can go to www.actphilly.org and find our link for the gala for second chances it's our very first one we are desperately trying to raise more money to engage in more life-saving programming i mean we do have a contract with the city granted for the city services in our contract but we need to go above and beyond that Angela we need you know more vets we need more programming we need the ability to TNR and SNR more cats and that comes with funding it's all about the money we need an emergency medical fund not just for the dogs that come in overnight we are a 24-hour operation or cats that need immediate medical care we can't give it to them now but I think you know if we had an emergency medical fund we could get them the help they needed so please join us at our gala it's going to be a lot of fun it's at Concilio which is very near the city shelter and we're just going to, we're all going to have a shower. We're going to look nice. We're going to smell nice. It's going to be a really great, great fun time. And you're going to meet a lot of wonderful animal people. So I just wanted to put that out there because it's, uh, it's our very first one. I kind of feel honored. Yeah, <laughs> that's really exciting. Well, well, and thank you for giving us the the specifics on Elroy. He's not, I mean, obviously I got to meet him, so I'm already oh, you're just in love, in love with this guy. Uh, but, you know, with four dogs at home and, and you know, talking about what we were saying earlier with the, the dogs that don't do well, it's like uh, half my dogs bite me. So, so I, you know, they're doing just fine. I can't throw another in the mix, but, um, but all right. So, can't have <laughs> no, not Elroy, but maybe another one in the near future so i will definitely uh, be looking for sure um 
So, uh, you know, listeners, as you already know, Act Philly is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that survives on funding from the city, but also on donations. And if you enjoyed our conversation with Susan today and want to support her and her team's efforts to help them save more lives, please make a donation to this incredible organization by visiting actphilly.org. If you have any questions about our show or have a suggestion for a guest or topic, please email me at Angela at PetLifeRadio.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to Take Me Home on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again to our guest and my friend, Susan Russell, Executive Director of Animal Care and Control Team of Philadelphia. Also, a big thanks to Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. Thank you to our listeners, and I look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.